From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The Acting Secretary of Homeland Security is out tonight. Chad Wolf resigned as Acting Secretary on Monday. His memo to department employees cites a court decision that the Trump administration appointed him to the acting secretary position improperly. FEMA Administrator Pete Gaynor will be the acting secretary until next Wednesday. Three of the biggest agencies in government will lose their chief information officers next Wednesday. Dana Deasy at the Defense Department, Jim Jiffer at Veterans Affairs, and Karen Evans at Homeland Security will leave their jobs at the end of the Trump administration. Federal News Network reports four other agency CIOs will leave government next week, too. The Defense Department isn't enforcing parts of President Trump's executive order on diversity and inclusion training. A new class deviation memo from the Pentagon's Principal Director of Defense Pricing and Contracting, John Tanaglia, overrules a memo that puts the EO's contents into contracts. FCW reports the new memo comes after a district court judge blocked the application of the order on grant recipients and contractors. The Solid Start program at the Department of Veterans Affairs has reached out to nearly 70,000 veterans its first year. The program provides personalized calls and resources to veterans who've just left the military. Margarita Devlin's Principal Deputy Undersecretary for Benefits at VA. Margarita, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What did you have, if anything, before Solid Start to try to connect with vets as they transitioned out of the military? Thank you so much for inviting me to talk about this important program. Before we had Solid Start, honestly, most of our military to civilian transition related outreach was really centered around the transition assistance program, which is mostly all of the programming and support that we do before the service member separates from the military. We also had a program, um, which was a v still is in effect, a VHA, a healthcare program called Concierge for Care. And what that program does is really just focus on healthcare registration and it reaches out to service members right before discharge and right after separation to invite them to enroll in healthcare. And really, um, aside from many other outreach um, efforts, which were sort of across the country and a lot of different mediums, there really wasn't anything exclusively focused on getting 100% of the veterans that separate from the military and reaching out to them about all their benefits after separation. And that kind of mirrors what veterans have said for years about their experiences in trying to, for example, find information on the website, that kind of thing. There were a lot of different entry points. Was that one of the goals here, was to try to reduce the number of entry points that vets have to navigate? Exactly. And also just to sort of make sure that they understand their benefits, because what we consistently heard when we talked to veterans after they separated is that the transition assistance program is wonderful. And during the program, they feel really great about it. But afterwards, they look back and they say, you know, it was kind of like drinking from a fire hose. We're in the midst of making decisions about our transition, where we're going to live, where we're going to work where we're going to go to school and we get these great briefings but it's so much information all at once and sometimes you can't really fully consume what you're going to need from your benefits portfolio until after you've left the military and you're actually in the midst of that transition and so that's kind of the point here i note that in the data sheet that you sent that there are uh th this isn't just one contact with a veteran after he or she leaves the military what's the ongoing kind of maintenance on the on the back end of this margarita 
That's a really great question. So we do make three contacts uh, because we want to make sure, first of all, that, that the veteran has had just enough time in their transition, right, so that we can get them at a point where they might have questions and, they, and they're sort of experiencing that transition. So we start in the first 90 days and we reach out to them. We also follow up again at six months and at one year. And mind you, before we make these contacts, we're sending them an email in advance to let them know that we're gonna be contacting them about their transition. Um, and in that first contact, what we're doing is really just initiating the conversation with a, how's it going? How is your transition going? What are you experiencing? Um, what's going on in your life? So that the veteran can really drive the conversation, which is different than the classroom experience they have in TAP, right? So this is a very tailored conversation that starts with what's going on in your life. And then the representative sort of can fill in all the benefits, services, coaching, guidance, um, based on how the conversation goes and specific to what the veteran is experiencing in their life at that moment. What did you have to build or, or get in order to stand this up? What did, kind of infrastructure did you have to construct to be able to provide this or were you kind of able to use things you already had on hand? So we, um, we did use the infrastructure in terms of sort of the basic technology and phone systems that we already had in place for our national call center. And then what we did was we built out a scripting tool that helps the representative walk through the different benefits and services based on that conversation that I was mentioning that's guided by the veteran so that we don't miss anything and we make sure we tell them about all the benefits that they that they should be in, that might be entitled to and that are relevant to their journey at that point in time so we had to create the scripting tool and of course we had to create a training program to train our representatives to make these kinds of outbound calls it's a very different experience for for a customer service representative to be initiating an outbound call to a veteran versus taking a call in and training them on how to listen for cues and and um, unspoken words and then specific requests and making sure that they can address those requests so that the veteran gets a real comprehensive experience with our solid start agents. I mentioned at the beginning, Margarita, that you're a year into this. What are you learning from the data that I imagine that you're collecting and how are you adjusting now or planning to adjust to better meet the needs of the vets as time goes on? So we're learning a lot of things um, in, in after that first year. First of all, we're learning that veterans really do want to take this call. When we first set up the program, we knew we needed a performance metric and we wanted to just sort of start with the basics, right? How many veterans do we want to make sure take this call? And we know that it's it's kind of the reality of our world, right? Most people will not answer the phone if they're getting a call that they don't recognize the caller. So we weren't really sure how it was gonna take effect, but we've done a lot of marketing. We started talking about it and, and putting the word out there through social media that Solid Start was happening, but we set a target of 15%, one five, right? 15% of veterans, we wanted to make sure they answered the phone. And that was our out of the gate target. So the first thing we learned is that they really want to take this call because so far we've contacted 72% um, of priority veterans, and I'll talk about priority veterans, and 56% of the entire veteran population. So we call all the veterans that we have information for after they separate. We also have uh, a priority grouping, which is veterans who had a mental health appointment in that last year after separating from the military. We prioritize them and try to really get them into mental health treatment um, either in their community or in VA. 
So that's the first thing we learned is, wow, veterans really want to take this call and they're engaging with our representatives. And in many cases, they really needed that call. I mean, we have anecdotes that we hear from our representatives of veterans who said, you know, things like, I, I didn't even know that the VA has all of this information and thank you for reaching out to me so that I could connect. Um, the other thing that we're doing is sort of looking at the data to see um, how are we doing with connecting veterans um, to their benefits. We've learned that a lot of veterans kind of um, come out of the military sort of feeling quite stoic about benefits and feeling, we've heard comments like, you know, I don't need disability compensation, let somebody else have that benefit that needs it more than me. And so these agents are really able to kind of talk them through what disability compensation is for and why they might want to apply for it and how it works and actually take an intent to file over the phone, right there on the phone with the veteran to get the process started for them. Because we don't want them to miss a benefit and, and we don't want them to lose that opportunity to get, for example, dedicated health care for whatever conditions um, they might have incurred while in the service or aggravated while in the service. Margarita Devlin, a lot more to ask you, but we're out of time. Thanks very much for coming on. Congratulations. Thank you. Up next, getting new leaders up to speed after the transition. Straight ahead on Government Matters, what career employees should do to drive progress. Welcome back. President-elect Biden has named most of the names in his cabinet, but not every agency will have leadership in place next Wednesday. The career employees already in place will have a lot of time and a lot of work to do to wait to get leaders confirmed. Dave Wenergren is chief executive officer for the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council, former chief information officer of the Navy. Dave, it's great to see you again. What's that look like for organizations where actings are in place, um, and career folks really are running the show, in some cases, for some extended period of time. Yeah, it's, it's great to be with you, Francis. It is an important topic to talk about because it can be a long period of time. I mean, regardless of election outcome, a lot of people leave, not only the political appointees, but also career executives. And while, you know, you can see President-elect Biden has chosen the, the top cabinet officials, there are hundreds, thousands of additional appointees that have to be made. And so this this transition period goes on for a long time. And it's really important for for career executives who have to like hold down the fort and keep the machine running to think about a few things. I, I would offer like as a starting point for our conversation that, you know, new people are going to show up and they're going to come in with new ideas and they're not necessarily going to want to keep doing all the things that we're currently doing. And if you're not prepared to help have that conversation about there are some things that we should continue to do because they're hugely important, but we're also willing to accept the fact that we're going to do some additional course changes, then, you know, it's going to be a tough transition for you. I would offer as an example, you know, during the Bush administration, we called them e-gov initiatives and lines of business in the Obama administration. We talked more about shared services. Now we have QSMOs. But this continuing theme about optimizing service delivery is an outcome that's really important to matter. And it's something that we in ACT-IAC have done a lot of thinking and writing about this year under our presidential election project, Agenda 2021, where our capstone document is all about delivering outcomes and building trust. And that delivering outcomes is, I think, maybe the most important theme of all of the themes 
issues that we've covered on this program uh, as uh, what will happen in the next, say, month to 90 days. A lot of people use the first 100 days uh, metric for a new presidential administration. That's the key time, isn't it, for career employees to influence where the agency goes for the next four years? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I will just say, you know, sometimes it's a dicey proposition. If you feel like you're acting and you don't feel like you necessarily have authority or the backing and you don't know these new people yet. But, you know, as they say, nature abhors a vacuum. And so if as the acting leader, you're just sitting still, that's never a good plan. I mean, part of the challenge here is you've got to keep moving the agenda forward, delivering outcomes that matter, because I'll say your track record of delivery will matter a whole lot more. And, and we'll open the ears of the new incoming people to be willing to listen to you about your advice about what to sustain, what to stop, and what to start. We've probably seen more technology changes, Dave, over the last year than we've seen in the previous five years, all driven by the pandemic, the switch to remote work, all of that. What's the landscape look like to you in 2021? What will these leaders, both the politicals that are coming in and the careers that are staying in place, what will they have to contend with in the next year or so in your view? Oh my gosh, you know, it is, it is just this trifecta, right? You have this pandemic. I remember like it was almost yesterday, Friday the 13th in March of last year when we went virtual and that's like 10 months ago. And while we have visions of vaccines and returning to in-person gatherings in our heads right now, it's still gonna be months before we get to that world. So this change to a virtual world has, has done so much to stir up uncertainty and angst, but to also offer opportunity. I think we should take comfort from the fact that the federal technology business has done a fabulous job of adapting to the use of these new technologies to help keep the mission of government going forward. But if we're not keeping in our heads the uncertainty and the impact that that's having on our workforce, it will require us to have different leadership skills than we might have done otherwise. And it also forces us to think a lot about resiliency. And, you know, I'll say some processes some jobs, even some organizations really risk the, the issue of are they still relevant in this virtual world and the adoption of these new virtual technologies? You made a list not long ago of some of the technologies that you think will be very prevalent this year. And on that list, you put one that I thought was curious. Crisis management and response doesn't sound to me like a technology thing. Why did you categorize it that way, Dave? Well, because so much of this has to do with the adoption of new technologies, right? And, and in a, in a paper-based, labor-intensive kind of world, change doesn't happen quickly. And part of the challenge of learning from the crises that we've faced recently and how to do better with them is how do you use these new technologies that allow you to have better situational awareness, to allow you to use data to forecast and predict, to use evidence-based policy decisions and data to help drive decisions that are fact-based rather than fear-based. All these things come into the play about how do you maintain a resilient organization that can adapt to crises. Dave Wintergren, thanks very much as always. Great to have you back on the program. Delighted to be with you, Francis. Up next, the commercial space connection. Straight ahead on Government Matters, the FAA's job to make commercial space work better for America. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. Be right back.
Welcome back. Congress wants the Federal Aviation Administration to promote investments in infrastructure for space transportation. The Government Accountability Office has new recommendations for how the FAA can incentivize trips to space. Heather Krauss is Director of Physical Infrastructure Issues at the Government Accountability Office. Heather, thanks for coming on the program. The, your work strikes me as kind of a good news, bad news story. The good news, it strikes me, is that uh, launch capacity infrastructure seems to be good enough for the commercial uh, providers and for the launch providers. The bad news is the FAA is not really potentially thinking about all the things that they could be thinking about. Am I reading this work right? Yeah, that, that hits on the key messages from our report. Uh, you know, we did talk with launch providers uh, and they, like you said, they found that the current infrastructure is generally sufficient to meet the demand for commercial space. Where some of the providers as well as the site operators differ is where they see the infrastructure going in the future. Uh, they differ in terms of the, you know, where they see the need for infrastructure, the location of it, as well as the type of infrastructure. And a lot of that will depend on how the industry evolves, um, the types of technology that support the commercial space industry uh, uh, will drive the type of infrastructure that's needed. You write in this work, FAA's initial draft report was limited because it focused on only two existing FAA programs rather than a range of options. What's that draft report that you're referring to there and what options did FAA potentially miss out on? So the Congress and its FAA Reauthorization Act of 2018 mandated that FAA examine um, examine and make recommendations on ways to promote and facilitate greater investment in space transportation infrastructure. Uh, they're in the process of drafting that report and respond to that mandate. There's other elements that they're responding to in it as well. Um, what they shared with us as they're pulling that report together and it's under review is that they're looking at two existing grant programs to make recommendations or consider and describe to the Congress. Uh, the first one being the Space Transportation Infrastructure Matching Grant uh, Program, or STEM it's referred to, as well as the Airport Infrastructure Program, or AIP. Um, when we spoke with stakeholders, both had some concerns about um, those programs in its current form, and FAA really selected those based on the fact that they would be easy for them to administer given they have some existing statutory authority for those programs and that they had um, administered STEM grants previously in the 2010 to 2012 uh, fiscal years. So I want to connect that then to a passage later on in the work. You write, leading practices in infrastructure investment emphasize the importance of conducting an examination of potential approaches. It strikes me then in the context of what you just said, potential approaches is maybe the most important word in that sentence, isn't it? Yeah, what, what we were or what we're recommending in our report is that FA look at a range of potential options, um, both in terms of assessing the two programs that they're considering, but also that there are other options for assessing or for financing transportation infrastructure, things ranging from direct loans, loan, uh, loan guarantees, and other financing tools, tax incentives. Um, there's also alternatives to providing federal assistance that may also provide support to the transportation infrastructure that's needed. And so what, what we had recommended to FAA is, is to do a broader assessment and, and, and lay out the trade-offs for the Congress in terms of what, um, to help them make better decisions on what types of, uh, 
the way to support the infrastructure as well as maximize any effective federal investment on transportation infrastructure. Do your recommendations include which ones of those options FAA should consider or just that they should consider a more broad selection than they have? It's really uh, suggesting that they give and prepare information on a broader selection of options and lay out the trade-offs. This is really based on the fact that FAA does have a deep uh, understanding and ties to the commercial space transportation industry and can best assess um, the types of trade-offs Congress would want to consider in supporting uh, space transportation infrastructure. Um, you write uh, toward the end of the highlights page, FAA may overlook other options that better meet federal policy goals and maximize the effect of any federal investment. Is that really the main issue here, that where the funds go may be impacted by their uh, not looking at these other options? Yeah, that's correct. I mean, it is, we uh, by not doing a broader assessment or examination of options, FAA may be missing out on potential options that could better support the space transportation industry. What kind of follow-up uh, have you gotten from FAA on this? In response to our report, FAA partially concurred with the recommendation. Um, they anticipate, you know, working to finalize the report, uh, which they anticipate describing those two grant programs. Um, but they don't feel that they should be doing an assessment, a broader assessment of options. Um, we, we believe, again, because FAA has a deep understanding of the commercial transportation industry, they're in the best position to assess what kind of uh, trade-offs might be considered in supporting commercial space transportation. Heather, thanks very much for coming on. It's great to have you on the program. Thank you. Don't forget, if you miss an episode of Government Matters, you can find it on our website, govmatters.tv. And you get a preview of every program when you sign up for our daily program guide. You just text GovMatters to the number 58671. I'm back in two minutes. Up next, a special look at the Army, sponsored by Ubico on the Government Matters Thought Leadership Network. If you're watching on the American Forces Network, you can watch Agency in Motion Army on demand at govmatters.tv. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 11 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 1030 on ABC7 to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Beatrix Haddon. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.